This episode of Remnant Radio is brought to you in part by our sponsors at Kairos Classrooms. Have you ever thought about learning a biblical language as a supplemental tool in your biblical studies? Well, Kairos Classrooms offers real classroom environments with with classmates and a live instructor who can help teach you biblical languages, both Greek and Hebrew. You need to check out Kairos Classrooms today. Uh, The price for a single semester is crazy affordable for anyone, so check out the links in the description and use promo code REMNANT to get 10% off Kairos Classrooms. Check out Kairos Classrooms today. Discount code R-E-M-N-A-N-T, REMNANT, to get 10% off your semester. Hey everybody, welcome to Remnant Radio. My name is Joshua Lewis and today we are discussing Jeremiah 23. We're going to be in verses 23 through 40. Uh, We've got three different areas that we're touching on today. Uh, We're going to be discussing God's rhetorical questions to the prophet that kind of place them under condemnation. We're going to be discussing uh, God's uh, problems with prophetic ministry, the errors in some of this prophetic ministry. We're going to touch on some of that and we're going to discuss how uh, human agendas being involved in this prophetic ministry and God's indictment towards those human agendas. So we've got a a full episode that we're looking forward uh, to today. Uh, Dawson and I have already done an episode on uh, Jeremiah 23, 1 through uh, 22, and today we are finishing off that uh, passage. So it's going to be a thorough exegesis. If you haven't watched that video, that's fine. You can watch this one and pick up right where we left off, or you can go back and watch that video. But before we dive into today's discussion and introduce Dawson, I want to let you know a little bit about Remnant Radio, who we are and what we are all about. Uh, Remnant Radio is a theology broadcast. We stream Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. Uh, we interview different pastors and teachers from different churches and denominations. Uh, we want to discuss theology, uh, church history, and the gifts of the Spirit. But why? Why would we interview all of these different churches and different denominations? Well, our goal is kind of get you outside of your theological echo chamber, learn from your Christian's brothers and sisters, learn how to dialogue, to discuss, to disagree in a glorifying way to God uh, with showing respect and dignity to those who we disagree with. Uh, we don't think all of these people are right. We don't think truth is relative, uh, but our goal is just to kind of get you into a space where you can listen to ideas that are not necessarily in your tradition and see if they're found in God's word. So I hope this is something that, that you're interested in. And if so, consider subscribing, uh, liking the video because we're coming out with content just like this every single week. Today's episode so it's a little bit different in that we're not interviewing necessarily someone from a different church or denomination, but we're interviewing Dawson, who has been doing lots of research for Remnant Radio for many years now. Uh, Dawson writes study guides, and uh, as I can remember on the top of this episode, there is going to be a study guide for Jeremiah 23 yeah. that Dawson has put in the description of the video. So you can go check those out. They're very thorough. Uh, if you want to study more about Jeremiah, they can be found there in that passage. Without further ado, Dawson, uh, hey. how are you doing, man? I'm glad to have doing you back good. in studio. Doing good, man. You know, just that we had a baby, so had to, hadn't got a chance to have much sleep, but uh, actually got some sleep tonight, so I'm raring to go. When you say we, I you mean, mean me, you I, and your wife. Yes, yes, who did most of the heavy lifting there. That Yes, mostly your wife. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, uh, so let's, let's get into Jeremiah 23. Like I said, we've already done uh, part one. Can you give us just a real recap? And I say part one, I say that loosely, verses one through 22. Can you give us uh, just kind of a quick recap on the things that we touched just last week? Okay. Yeah. Uh, the brief recap, basically we touched on the fact that, that he, he sets up uh, the context. You know, these are all, there's about five different 
messages that Jeremiah's given over the years, over the whole 40 years of his ministry Mm -hmm. that are kind of compiled into one little section here of the greatest hits against the prophets. So from that, the the sections we looked at were basically uh, his indictment that explained that there was pollution in the land because of them, Mm -hmm. that that the problems in the land were the result of their their proclamation. And then the second one was just basically uh, laying out the problem with the prophet, uh, with the prophets and that problem being that they didn't have a mission from God, they didn't have a message from God, and their means of gaining their revelation was not proper. They had not been in the counsel of the Lord. So Excellent. That was, that's kind of an overview of it. And today we're picking up in verse 23. Mm-hmm. Uh, verse 23, we're going to deal with the rhetorical questions. Maybe we can pick up there. Have you lead us into that passage? Oh, yeah, that's yeah. great. And, and we'll just kind of discuss it, dialogue it, as we have in weeks past. Yeah, sure. In chapter 23 and 24, uh, it's a really short section, but... What we know from this section is likely these were literally God just gave Jeremiah a question. And that's all he did was, I mean, can you imagine a sermon that is just one question and it still hits? You know, I mean, that's that's quite a powerful sermon. But these questions really nail what were some of the issues, put their finger on uh, the beliefs that some of these prophets had that were false beliefs. Mm. Rooted in like the temple ideology and uh, the belief, that's chapter 7 of Jeremiah, where he gives the temple sermon, famous temple sermon, and basically uh, talks about how, you know, you say, this is the temple of the Lord, just the temple of the Lord. And in verse 10 says, this is the place where you'll be safe. So it's this idea that that God is never going to uh, hurt the temple, mess with the temple, uh, because God stays at the temple. And that was the problem, because that's actually a pagan idea, mm-hmm. that a deity can be localized. There's two types of deities in the Near Eastern, uh, ancient Near Eastern myth. There's the local deity, that's your Baals and Asherahs. And then you have uh, your cosmic deities. It's kind of like the Marvel Universe. Nice. So, you, so you have like the, you know, you have the eternity. friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you have your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. Yeah. Well, that'd be Jeremiah because yeah. he's a good guy. Yeah. No, but, uh, but basically uh, you, uh, you have these cosmic deities that, don't have any reference to man. Don't uh, don't deal with them. You know they're like, what is this ant to me? Mm. Uh, in in the ancient Near Eastern thinking, and then you have localized deities that you know are basically, hey, it rains. Why does it rain? That must be Baal. So it's it's basically uh, those kind of concepts of how they came to that, and these kind of beliefs have bled through into uh, into the beliefs of. Uh, of the of the prophets of so, Yahweh. like in the same way like today worldview affects the way that we view our religion so like there was an ancient near eastern worldview in the way that there's like a western worldview of yeah. spirituality yeah so like in the west um we might be hyper naturalistic and we could use this naturalistic worldview to read into the text like jesus walked on water well the water must have froze right we'll make excuses to read that into the text because of the worldview that the west may hold yes right so um again a, a good example of this is like when you think of the devil you think of a, a horned cartoon character with a pitchfork well that's the western worldview that is painting your theology so what you're saying is the ancient near eastern worldview was that of both cosmic deities who are um what's the word um imminent transcendent so they're transcendent god who's uh. far beyond us and so lofty that he doesn't care about us we we can't really get involved with him at all but then there are these imminent deities who are localized in local places mm-hmm. and they were beginning to treat the god of israel as a localized deity 
because yes. of the worldview system that they, they were, were importing yeah. into their faith. Exactly. Cool. And and to add to that, just to, just to be clear, that's why he actually gives them, it's really amazing when you think about it. That's why he gave them question. That's why God said, hey, I want you to form this in the form of a question, uh, because it frames it in such a way that it isn't an intellectual discussion about the transcendence and imminence of God, mm. where he's saying, hey, guys, um, we need to talk about this bad belief that doesn't have rational uh, foundation. But he actually is laying into, no, you, this is a relational issue that is extremely personal. And so if you ask it in the form of a rhetorical question, it circumnavigates any kind of... Uh, now, when we talk about rhetorical questions, is this like when my mom comes home and I'm playing video games? Obviously, this hasn't happened in a decade, but okay. like I'm playing video games and she goes, oh, you had time to play video games, but you didn't have time to do dishes? You didn't have time to do the, the mow the yard and you didn't have time to... There's these, these questions that are in, intended to place shame upon the hearer uh, because I was doing something I ought not to have done. This is a, this is a, a question because it seems it's not one question. It's, it's a question after a question after a question. But it's all, making, a, a, it's all, all making two points. So. Okay, so, so in that, it's, yeah. it's as if th- this is, these, are, these are rhetorical because they're one question after one question after one question meant to shame the hearer, yeah. right? Uh, and this is a common literary device. Yeah. As, as I just expressed in our culture. I just might re, re, uh, re-outline this as, as mama's questions. As mama's questions, <laughs> yeah. mama's questions to the prophets. Yeah, exactly. Let's, okay, okay, let's dive in. And the first one is, am I a God who is near and not a God far off? And then uh, in, in this one, it's, this one's kind of a key. And it, it gets at that localized deity. Mm-hmm. It gets at uh, just basically, he's asking the question, you know, um, you really believe I'm near. You really believe I'm imminent. You really believe that when you're in the temple, you're with me. Uh, you also believe I'm contractually obligated to do everything um, that you think I'm contractually obligated to do. In other words, it's a, it actually this is a habit that happens to uh, to conservative Christians. Is we read a, we read a text and we're like, oh, okay, I, I can believe this, and God has to fulfill it. Mm-hmm. Oh well. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a certain thing called the sovereign freedom of God mm-hmm. um, that lays in God's understanding of who he is. He has ultimate freedom to do what he, he, he can do because guess what? He's God. Um, and while he is faithful to his word and he fulfills his word, if you try to manipulate that and get him contractually obligated to do what you want uh, and thus manipulate his will to do what you want, he has the right to go, no, this is not in your best interest. So there's like this fine line between um, knowing the character of God as seen in scripture um, to respond to certain situations in a consistent pattern. Mm-hmm. And for us to go, man, I expect God will affect things this way. We expect that God will intervene in this way because this is the way he's done it throughout history mm-hmm. and teaching uh, in kind of this uh, robotic, uh, specific way that God will and must do X, Y, and Z in this specific way. Uh, you know, so so it's... Uh, in the Western world, we're uh, because of, I guess, post enlightenment and the scientific worldview that we have that, you know, X plus Y equals Z. Mm-hmm. And every time you put X and Y together, it equals Z. But that makes God 
a formula and not a person, a relational person. So we have a relational person who's consistent in and character. That's, yeah, that's hugely an not, issue, an issue in Jeremiah. He actually, it's called the, if you read, if you ever read in books on this, you hear, you hear a phrase called the pathos of God. Mm-hmm. That's what they're talking about. You just described it perfectly. Gotcha. Um, and it's this idea that God is personal and God is passionate. Um, and in Jeremiah, that comes through eminently because as a personal being, he will not be made into a robot that dispenses you what you want just because you press the right buttons. Mm-hmm. He's like, you just, because that means what that does to God is he's like, I want a relationship with you. Right. And what, what you're making me into a robot. And if anyone's ever been in that situation, you know, maybe you had someone who, who, who God forbid manipulates you a lot. Right. That is uh, th- that frustration of why won't you let me love you? Why do you keep me at arm's length and then just push my buttons to get what you want? Um, that is a uh, that is what Israel was doing. So think Star Wars. It's an impersonal force that we manipulate and control. Yes. Um, not a intelligent, rational, divine being who is sovereign, right? So Christians should not look at God as a force to be controlled, certain principles that they can use to manipulate God to get what they want out of him, but as a sovereign being. Uh, a sovereign being uh, over all things, all powerful, all knowing. But within that, we also see a pattern of integrity, a pattern of character that Mm -hmm. we can also place our trust in. It's not like he's going to fly off the handle and do something random or unexpected. Um, He has a pattern that he has displayed in the scripture. Just to be clear, I'm not saying that we shouldn't pray the promises. I'm not saying that we shouldn't trust the promises of God. But it's easy in our human minds to say, okay, well, if I if I put X in and I should get Z, you know, I could get Y out. Uh, but that's not how it works in a personal relationship. The Lord knows better. And he, there's times where he's going to say, you don't really need that, even though you think you need it. Yeah. You don't see the big picture I do. And I'm moving you to into the character of Christ. And that may mean this for you. Yeah. rather than that. So let's get to some of those questions that you had listed in here. Um, in Jeremiah 23, we read the first verse there in 23. We're going to go over it just for clarity's sake. Am I God at hand, declares the Lord? And am I not a God far away? So this is that question we just addressed. He's not just a localized deity. Mm-hmm. And then in verse 24, this is the next set of questions where he says, can man hide himself in the secret place so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord? Do I not fill the heavens and the earth? declares the Lord. So here are these repeated questions that the Lord is asking over and over here in 23 and 24. Uh, so let's pick up on those those last two questions. What, what is he What is he directing us to? Because it sounds like in that first one, uh-huh. he's like, hey, am I this localized deity? I'm, I'm far away. I'm, 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 I'm imminent, but am I not far away as well? The second question seems to touch on something similar and mm-hmm. yet different. Yeah. Um, is it talking about his omnipresence? Is it talking about his imminence or... Help me yeah, understand this, well, this next getting, set of questions. It's getting at it's getting at those things, but it's really touching on the fact that he knows all that he uh, that you cannot hide from him. Oh, so this is more of an uh, an omniscience than omnipresence issue. Yeah, yeah. I know what you're doing in the secret places. That's not necessarily in the exactly, temple. Exactly, exactly. Okay. And what he's what he basically is kind of outlining is he's aiming at uh, how do you put yourself in the idea of someone who talks about God a lot mm-hmm. is constantly speaking, thus say Yahweh. And at the same time is extremely far from Yahweh. 
So he's wanting to remind these prophets that, yes, I really am. I really do know you because when people are living in an external culture that is very shallow religiously, where you're always projecting image, you're always projecting something you're not, you're always uh, maintaining a personal persona. When a person does that long enough, they forget that God sees who they really are. Mm. And that's what these prophets had done. They had forgotten, they, they had really forgotten that he sees in the secret place. So God's going, no, I really do know all. I know what you really think in your heart. I know what, you know, even though I am not this localized deity that you can manipulate, I am a God who is far off. I'm also a God who sees. I may be far off as well as localized. I may be far off as well as, as, well as imminent, but, but I'm also a God who can see your heart. And in seeing your heart, I know, what, I know what's going on. Mm-hmm. And because they're projecting this persona, and they, it's easy to forget that God sees that way. It's easy to think that he actually only sees your persona. And, and that may sound weird, but if you've ever lived in a, in a truly religious environment, it is so easy to even have that happen to you as a Christian. Oh, yeah. And you can get to a place where at the end of the day, you go, oh, gosh, I have no awareness of God. And God just sees me on the outside. Like that's it. That it, it, it creates in us um, a, a discontinuity that everybody around you kind of can tell, but you're very, you're very self-deceived in. And here's the problem that if you ever get to a place where you're not, you don't have an active awareness of God, uh, then you don't, you will not have a proper functioning of conscience. Because conscience functions best when we have an active awareness of God. Mm. Um, it's the it's the daddy's looking at me principle, like when you're a kid. Oh yeah, you know, and and that may sound oh it's, for some people I'm guessing that that sounds awful because of their own background, but in the context of a loving, caring, uh, really wants what's best for you, father. That's a that's that's a wonderful thing to have his gaze upon you. Oh, I had little kids that were young playing with outlets, knowing that they're not <laughs> supposed to play with outlets, right? There's little outlet covers. Yeah. Like I'd yeah. walk into the other room and they'd be like scratching at them or whatever. And I come in and they're playing with outlet covers, like in diapers, you know, uh-huh. like 18 months, just like playing with an outlet cover. I walk in the room, they look up and they go, you know, like waddling <laughs> away. Like I wasn't doing that. Um, that's exactly what we were talking about, right? Yeah, like yeah, yeah. That, that, that he's present in that. So even and in- And that actually is what led them, that fa- that loss of conscience is- in my in my estimation, is one of the things that led to their um their leading very morally degenerate lives. Even though they, at the same time they're putting this up this religious front. So let's talk about that because I think that we we see we see, I don't want to mean, mean to make correlations one to one for that today, but like if you're putting this this projection of this like really moralistic life out there, mm-hmm. this is the way that I'm living secretly behind closed doors. You're living in a different way. You don't feel conviction or fear of God. Right, you can actually begin to look at prosperity and blessing as an affirmation that God's okay with the way you're living. Yep. Right. God's growing my church. God's God's blessing us. I mean, we have all these mega church pastors who are pastoring these massively large churches who are falling into scandals, thinking. I mean, they don't just fall into 
bed with someone overnight, yeah. right? That's a progress of morality being chipped away with a little bit by little bit. And, and that Christian pastor would be like, you know, we're all sinners. Um, God's got grace for me in this season. And like, he forgives me. I've asked for forgiveness. He forgives me. I don't have to go public. I don't have to talk to people about this. I don't have to confess my sin. And mm. that just continues to chip away. And they can look at God's blessing. Their church is growing. Finances are growing. Uh, you know, uh, maybe there lots of people are coming to faith in Christ. Like they can look at all of these things and go, this must mean that God's okay with the way that I am, right? So, and in this context, these are people who are going, blessing, blessing, peace, peace. These yeah, are people That's the typical who are ideology looking, all over yeah, again. You so just described it. Over and over. So you have these, these groups of prophets who, who are living this kind of secret life, if you will. Mm-hmm. They're projecting this moral, you know, this moral righteousness to other people. And they can look at the blessing of Israel and, and go, clearly we're okay. And, and the crazy, cool and the crazy, the craziness about it is that it's not. It, it's very clear from Jeremiah that it wasn't nearly as hidden. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the the people knew because the people were doing the same thing. That's right. Uh, it's just it, it's like the old joke about uh, about the Baptist at the liquor store. Oh, what is one what does one Baptist say to another Baptist in the liquor store? What's not, that? Not a dad blame thing. A Protestant, not a Protestant. A Catholic won't acknowledge an Eastern Orthodox, right? And a Protestant doesn't acknowledge a Roman Catholic, right? And then a Baptist doesn't acknowledge another Baptist in a liquor store. That's the way that I, I, okay, I've, I've gotcha, always heard gotcha, it said, gotcha. but, but still, but uh, still to that yeah. same token. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, people we don't recognize. Um, yeah. Uh, so, so in, in that context, uh, you're, you're just talking about people who have a, a, a religious front that they're putting uh-huh. out, uh, living a completely different way behind closed doors, thinking God is okay with them yes. because of blessing and prosperity. Yeah. And, and as one of those pieces, yeah, as one of those pieces and, even when something bad happens that should shake them, because there there are many different little things that happen between the uh, uh, leading up to Zedekiah's reign and, and the final exile. I mean, there was even one moment where where all the what you could say the best, the first exile, uh, um, where all the best of of Jerusalem was taken uh, into uh, to Babylon. This mm-hmm. when uh, Ezekiel and Daniel both. Uh, I think Daniel was in that, but Ezekiel definitely. Daniel definitely was. Um, they went and they left. And actually in the next chapter, in chapter 24, um, Jeremiah goes on to say, uh, you know, they were the best, they were the best of the, uh, the, he has this vision of two, uh, of two bags of figs and uh, the good figs and the bad figs. And everybody in Jerusalem at the time were like, well, oh yeah, we're the good figs. And he's like, no, you're not. The mm-hmm. good figs got taken to, uh, to Babylon. Uh, mm-hmm. We are the bad figs. And that's, it's really, I think there's because an application people, point here. Because the, the people, yeah, because the people thought they were, they were, that they were the best because they were left behind to be with right. the temple. And I think there's an application point here in saying that in Jeremiah's day, they thought they were all good. They had sin that they were wrestling with. God was looking at their sin. Um, he was, he was waiting, he was slow in, in anger, slow waiting for them to come into repentance. Even in this moment, he is rebuking them. This is not just a moment where it's like, hey guys, you're in trouble. But like if they hear this message in the same way that they in the, in Jonah in Nineveh's day, right, where Nineveh hears the message, they could repent with sackcloth and ashes, right? This is the response for the listener who's watching today, who's going, wow, this sounds like me. I, I sound like the guy who is projecting a moralistic life. I'm far from God. Mm-hmm. I have blessing and prosperity that's in front of me, yeah. but God's not okay with me. Yeah. Um, and, and, and as far as application moment, I don't get a lot of moments to preach the gospel on air. You know, this is that moment, right? This is that moment where you turn to Christ, you confess yeah. your sin, you speak publicly about the things you're wrestling with so that you can deal with publicly um, 
and, and deal with privately with the Lord what you don't have to be displayed for the unbeliever to, to, to bring the gospel into open shame. Like this yeah. is that moment where you're hearing the words that were put, written to the prophets, right? But this is a word for the people who are listening today yes. in the West who are projecting a moralistic life that they aren't living themselves. Yes. So that's my application point. You do with it what you want. All right, then. <laughs> Sounds pretty good to me. Um, we can, uh, from there, let's uh, let's go on to uh, the chapter, uh, verses 25 through 32. Um, okay. Basically, uh, what we have in those verses are some marks of prophetic ministry uh, that God is against, that he does not like and does not approve of. Would so, you like me to read it? Yeah, um, go ahead. We're in verses 25 through 32. It's just a recap, and we're going to read that passage together. I have heard what the prophets have said who prophesy lies in my name, saying, I have dreamed. I have dreamed. How long shall there be lies in the hearts of the prophets who prophesy lies uh, and who prophesy the deceit of their own heart? Uh, who think to make my people forget my name by their dreams that they have uh, that they tell one another, uh, even as their fathers forgot my name for Baal. Let the prophets who has a dream tell the dream, but let him who has my word speak my word faithfully. What has what has straw in common with wheat, declares the Lord, uh, is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock into pieces. Therefore, behold, I am against the prophets, declares the Lord, who steal breaks the rock in pieces. Verse 30. Therefore, behold, I am against the prophets, declares the Lord, who steal my words uh, from one another. Behold, I am against the prophet, declares the Lord, who uses their tongues and declares, declare the Lord. Uh, behold, I am against those who prophesy lying dreams, uh, declares the Lord, and who tells them and leads my people astray by their lies and their recklessness, uh, when I did not send them or charge them, uh, so they do not profit the uh, they don't profit this people at all, declares the Lord. That's a lot of declares the Lord, Dawson's. Yeah. There's so many declares the Lord's. I, I don't know if anyone has picked up some a theme on this passage, but the Lord is declaring something. Yes. <laughs> and that's let, like, let the reader discern. In the first part, okay, what is happening in 25 through 29? That's the section where he, he starts off with, I have dreamed, I have dreamed, and it goes all the way down to uh, the metaphors of, of uh, the, the hammer and the fire. So, what he's doing there is he's actually he's actually laying out in verses verse twenty five he lays out that um that they're obscuring the truth. So what's the first mark of uh, prophetic ministry that God is against? It's it's a ministry that will obscure the truth. Well, how did they obscure the truth? And in twenty five, when something is coupleted, especially in in uh, Jeremiah where it's doubled, he's he's basically making a rhetorical statement of taunt. So he's wanting you to highlight and go, oh, okay, I see. It's I have it's like they keep saying, I I have dreamed. I have dreamed. And that taunt is a boast. Uh, so so the implication there is that because they're speaking falsely about the Lord, but what they're saying is, I have dreamed, I have dreamed. You know, it's like they woke up, oh ooh, I have I have a dream. I get this half center stage now. And then it goes on in uh, verse 26 that this whole process is is deceiving them that first that how long a lot of scholars think that's not the lord that's that's jeremiah interjecting hmm. this one little two word lament so you you literally in the middle of this as a prophet himself in the middle of this he goes oh, how long will i have to put up you know not not out of out of uh, honest not out of anger, but I think out of a deep remorse, remorse like you have in verse nine. You have this, this how long, because then he said, then God says, is there anything in the heart of the prophets who prophesy falsely? Even those prophets 
of the deception of their own hearts. So it's something that th- these these people are self-deceived. They, they're not doing it intentionally. They're self-deceived. We get back to that whole having having a, a being rooted in the temple ideology, all the mm-hmm. stuff we just talked about earlier in the, in the past two verses. Um, but this deception has to do with a deception that's led by the the greed that they've had they've been used hey i have this vision i have this dream that this is the the self-deception of their own heart is that they they want to be used so badly exactly they get to they can say whatever they want yeah you you get to where you have that father wound and you just want everybody to affirm you yeah so there's that there's that issue there coming out and so they come in they oh i had a dream i get to be center stage let me tell you my dream let me tell you my dream and it says a little interesting things is there's this uh who intends to make my people forget my name? Now, the, the term intent there, because we know in the previous verse that, that the prophets are people who, um, who are deceived themselves, that they're under their own self-deception. This term for intent, even though it does have the implication of uh, scheming wicked plans, it's not something they're doing intentionally. Literally, if you've ever been around someone who is um, almost narcissistically selfish, they can be extremely unintentional, but their plans and everything that plays out around them is destructively hurtful to other people. So like a, a sociopathic liar is a person who can lie to the point that they convince themselves that something is true, mm-hmm. right? So then you're saying that this person is so narcissistically absorbed that they can't even detect that their heart is deceitful. They can't even detect that, that they are being led and motivated by selfish ambition mm-hmm. because they're so oblivious to the fact. And so much so that God has to send a prophet to give them a revelation to say, Hey, you're this deceived. Yeah. That's bad. It's intense. Yeah. And, and so a lot of people make, uh, make a big deal about the fact that, that when uh, these people go so far as to, by their desire to be center stage, by their desire, hey, I've had a dream. Uh, look at me. Let me tell you about it. Let me let me be the one to, to prophesy in front of the king now. Um, it became such a thing that God's name was forgotten, that, that, that God was getting eclipsed by the ministry about him. Hmm. Now, that's powerful. So the prophet goes from this description of them mm-hmm. to, uh, to really laying out... Um, a contrast with the real thing. Um, and he actually, in verse 27, he actually, uh, it's, it's kind of a sarcastic little tone Jeremiah takes here, or the, the Lord through Jeremiah says, uh, the prophet, the prophets who have a dream may relate his dream, but let him who has my word speak my word in truth. Now, what he's saying there is, listen, um, he's making a distinction. I think it's a good distinction for anyone, especially anyone, anyone who's in prophetic ministry. There's a difference between preaching the word of God and telling someone your dream. Hmm. Just telling someone your dream is telling someone your dream. It's not giving the word of God. So if you have a dream and you ask the Lord, what's the meaning of this dream? And he gives you the meaning of it. And he says, hey, this is for so-and-so. And you say, oh, okay. And you go to so-and-so and you just tell them in your dream, you haven't given them the word. Mm. You've just told them your dream. So this is actually creates a parallelism in the Old Testament of mm-hmm. a difference between revelation that comes by dreams or which we would categorize in prophecy because mm-hmm. of Joel and Acts, um, some a prophetic space where someone would say, hey, um, prophecy 
if, for those who want to make prophecy equal to scripture in Jeremiah's day, he's saying that the word of the Lord is that preaching, is that authority, yes. but this dream has a different quality to it. Yeah, because the, the the interpretation of that dream is was the word is the word of the Lord. I see. Versus versus mm. just the dream itself. If Got I it. if I tell you you know just the dream and I don't give you the interpretation, I haven't really you know or what the Lord told you was the interpretation. If you're gonna you know oh so that I misunderstood. This is not saying that that prophecy in the Old Testament is. Um, is a lower revelation of scripture. What it's saying is uh, a dream without an interpretation is like tongues without interpretation. There's no point to it because until the interpretation comes correct, a correct interpretation yes, comes, yes. there is no real authority. That's, what he's, in a that's the dream. point. Yeah, that's the point he's making. Gotcha. And, and at the same time, your point is actually valid given the theology that is expressed in the book of Jeremiah, where Jeremiah, even though he has some visions, he never has dreams. He, he, um, but he always, his prophecies are always uh, from the word of the Lord. Uh, the mm-hmm. word of the Lord came to me is is the phrase. And here's the thing. Um, Jeremiah and Moses are the two prophets that you see that, that same moniker. It's like uh, Jeremiah's in some sense, and there's been in scholarship, there's been a lot made of this, um, that Jeremiah uh, postures himself as the second Moses. Uh but the point theologically that's being made there is that uh, what he's trying to show, especially in Jeremiah's day, and I think that's why he did it, it, it this way, that's why the Lord did it this way, is because it sh- it, he's showing the word is important, hmm. more important than just dreams. There, There's that distinction there. Um, so there's a lot of scholarship on that. It, you can Anyone can find it, I'm sure. Um but when he contrasts it with the real, he uses a few metaphors that are really, really interesting. Uh, first, he gives uh, this straw uh, grain comparison. And these comparisons are not between false dreams. Um, I mean, they're not between dreams and, and the word like, like dreams are bad um, and the word is good. That's, that's not what he's doing. He's, um, he's comparing their false dreams with his true word hmm. and his true word has substance uh, because the, uh, the Hebrew word that's described there for grain and seed is literally chaff and wheat. Same thing used in the new Testament for in, in the parable um, of the chaff and wheat. Uh, so, you know, what's a chaff? It's just a husk and it has no substance. It's just the outside. And you know, imagine this is, this is the encapsulate their culture. They're nothing but chaff. They're nothing but a hollow husk that looks like it's got something inside of it. Until you crush it, and there's no, there's nothing of substance to it. Um, whereas um, a true wheat ha- has has a kernel, has a seed, has substance to it. And he's saying the true, the word I'm bringing here is is literally has substance to it. If you take it in, it will nourish you, and it will it will save your life. Um, and then he goes on from there. So let me ask you: you, you use the word false dreams. Uh-huh. Now I'm curious. Up until this point, um, it seems as if we've been talking about the prophets as people who are authentically prophetic or some of them were authentically prophetic. They were mm-hmm. actually hearing from the Lord. Um, now, are we saying that this person actually got a dream from the Lord, but because of their view of nationalism, their the imminent view of God that lacked transcendence, mm-hmm. that lacked the, this, this omnipresent God, this, uh, the view of that, that non omnipresent God affecting the way that they, they live in their character, yeah. affecting the way that they zealously pursue to be used by God yep. for their own okay. desire for the spotlight, that those things polluted what was authentic. Um, I would or say that was just and. wrong. Both I would and. say both and because okay. because those those same when you do the psychology of it, it's very simple. Those same people are going to take every dream and make it into God. 
Yep. And those same people are going to um, misinterpret and misapply and mess, as I say, mess up, as you say in Georgia, uh, any true revelation that, that they're given there. And oftentimes the way it's messed up is they make it bigger than it is. God's just saying, hey, mm-hmm. I love you, buddy. And you say, oh, I've got a word for the church that that. I've got to tell everybody, you know what? This isn't just for the church. It's for the church is all in my county. Oh, no, it's right. just for all the state. You know, and, and that would be, again, we could look at these points that if someone has these views today, yeah, right? That person can preach a sermon and be so off. Yeah. Preach a sermon about America mm-hmm. and how God's promises for America with their nationalistic view. And like, yeah. hey, make all these verses about Israel, about America. But there's no historical context for that whatsoever to use the Bible in that manner. Yeah. Um, uh, the imminent versus the, the transcendent. We can believe that God is here and he is present for today, but like he's not sovereign or he's not in control of all things. Mm-hmm. Um, again, we can come to scriptures and make the scriptures say something that they absolutely don't say. Something that's absolutely true and because of our own wickedness of our own heart, again, these four points can be used in a way to distort this authentic meaning. Exactly. In the same way that a dream that could actually be from God um, it can be distorted by the human heart, but yeah. you're saying it could be both and it could be their own dream. That's not from the Lord or yeah. a dream that is in fact from the Lord that is then distorted because of their, their wicked and yeah, hearts. Because if there, if there, if there's this need to boast, there's, there's this need to be in the center of attention, which is you can look at the court prophets and understand, I mean, they had an economic stake right. in, in, the, in, in making the King happy and looking like they knew what they were doing. Um, they had a nationalistic stake in making Israel a big deal. And we're going to be the David against the Goliath. Just read chapter 28. Yo, David. I mean, you, you read chapter 28, read Hanea's uh, uh, prophecy that he gives, false prophecy that he gives. Mm-hmm. Um, and and Hanea is a great example. He's our, he's our archetype because he's, he's a person who in all expressions that's given him in the text, it's very sincere. They never, it's never like, He's he's never coming. He never comes off as as must you know, twirling his mustache and going ha ha ha. I'm fooling these people. You know, there's none of that. Right. It's like this guy's sincere and mm. he's just sincerely wrong. Right. And even when and actually, I wouldn't say even when because the Lord didn't really give him a chance to repent because he just said, "Hey, just go tell him you're going to die." Mm. Um, but but you look at Jeremiah. He get Jeremiah. Jeremiah's response to Hanania's word is. May it be. So let's move to that next section. Okay. So do, sorry do we, about do we, that. No, no, you're good. That's that's perfect. Do we cover all of? Uh, no, we didn't because we just got through the first one, right? Yeah. No, this one's the biggest one, and then you've got you've got three more, and they're really short. Okay. But the biggest this bit this the reason the Lord puts so much effort into laying this out, actually giving analogies, is because obscuring obscuring the truth in a day of celebrity, obscuring the truth is very easy. Got it. Um, so us putting a lot of time into that is very important. So we just picked up the prior verse where they're like really zealous to be seen that mm-hmm. they really want to tell the people, Hey, this is my dream. This is my dream. This is my dream. This next verse in verse 30, we're picking up the copycat syndrome, right? Mm-hmm. So let's, let's read that verse and discuss that, um, that next section, that sub point of four here. That yeah. We're going through. So, so this next section, it says, therefore, behold, I am against the prophets declares the Lord who steals my words from each other. Now, some of the key things you need to see in this in this passage is he says steals my words. Mm-hmm. The Lord's saying my words. No, okay, so we're not talking about false revelation. Mm. We're talking about real revelation. And it says each other. So 
from among the prophet class, because by this, by Zedekiah, these are more than likely, this the sermon was in Zedekiah's day. And by the, that time, which is the last king of Israel, um, the prophet class was fully formed. Let me catch you on that, that slip there. The last, the last formal king during the, this dynasty period, Jesus was the last king of Israel. So there's a guy by the name of, uh, he's a scholar by the name of Charles Feinberg. Uh, he's passed on, really great Hebrew scholar. Um, he was president of Fuller for a while. Uh, he wrote a commentary on, on Jeremiah, and in it he says this. Uh, he describes them as three groups, uh, these three beholds in uh, 30, 31, 32, uh, lay out three different types of people in that prophet class. On top of the, the more general, everybody's really vying for attention because they're, they're obscuring the truth by wanting to be a celebrity. He says, uh, the first group of lying prophets are those who misappropriate the prophecies of true prophets, giving them out as their own. To their lie, they add plagiarism. Their words were not original, but stolen from others. Here was a spiritual bankruptcy indeed. And what he's describing is it, it, you're like, well, it was a true word. It was, I mean, it was from, it was his, he says, he said in the text, it's his word. How is it wrong? It's a few, few different ways. First of all, um, if you didn't, if you, he didn't say it to you and you say it came from him, you're still lying. Mm-hmm. One. Second, there's, there's a chance that uh, people were reading and were reading back into Isaiah and reading prophecies in Isaiah. And regurgitating. And regurgitating those prophecies, uh, maybe framing them a little differently. But, but, say, but, um, but saying, well, you know, because back there, if you, if you go and read Isaiah, you can read uh, prophecies in Isaiah that will make, if you were to speak them or even preach them, uh, in Jeremiah's day, they would have said things like, the temple is going to be safe. Mm-hmm. The temple is going to be okay. Um, because that's what happened. Sennacherib surrounded Israel. Mm-hmm. And then he just up and left. Uh, Hezekiah was like, what? God saved us. You know, it was like, like it's a really cool moment. And if for, for Isaiah, he prophesied all that. Now, if they were to say that, they'd be extremely long because if you take a text out of its context, you will misapply the text. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly uh, one way that they put, probably did this, as well as, as well as they hear a friend do a dream and they just twist it a little bit and play on it. Now, uh, the next mark, just moving on quickly, the next mark... I almost want to, like, oh, anyone, you anyone who watched the 2020 Prophecy video that we did, <laughs> like, there was two things that happened. Uh-huh. One... All the words are vague, and two, all the words sound exactly the same, uh, and they were all wrong, <laughs> every single one of them. So either we have a couple options: either the exact same demonic spirit filled every single one of this prophet's mouth, giving them the exact same prophetic word; two, um, they heard a prophecy that they liked that bore witness with them, and they copied it. Um, I'm inclined to think it's the second one. Uh, because most of these people, as far as I'm aware, um, serve the Lord, love the Lord, mm-hmm. uh, preach repentance, preach Christ exclusively. Um, but in all of that, uh, we I see so many of these markers, mm-hmm. right? That one I see the most. Yeah. And I cannot stress enough, just because a word is accurate in the past yes. does not mean it is from the Lord. Um, for example, there's a woman who follows or it's for around the Paul. present or better yet is for the present. Well, I was, I was going to say there's a woman who follows around Paul and Barnabas. Mm-hmm. These men are from God. These men are from God. These men are from God. 
he curses her with muteness because she has the wrong spirit, mm-hmm. right? Because she was going to then get credit yeah. for what happened in the name of the Lord. When Paul comes in and performs miracles and preaches the gospel and these kinds of things are taking place, she would have been the one who authoritatively predicted that these things were going to happen. And she has a demon, mm-hmm. right? So just because some of these prophets got it right back in the day, and then we're going to then use that as an interpretive lens of why they got it wrong today, that's unacceptable, right? Mm-hmm. Because they could have gotten it right because they were listening to someone else and repeated what they said. Or again, there, there's a thousand reasons that can make sense of maybe they were accurate then and then stirred up into their own selfish ambition or their nationalistic interpretation corrupted the prophetic word, whatever. Mm-hmm. There's a thousand reasons what for what could have happened. What we need to be careful of is saying, well, they got it right all these times in the past. It must be right here in the present or here in the future. Yeah, it, it gives them it gives them some validity and credibility. Absolutely. But credibility uh, credibility is cre- not infallibility. Yeah. Credibility to be heard. Yeah. Not credibility that leads to it. It's infallible. That's right. It's credibility to be heard. I will listen to you because of your track record and I will still judge your word. Yeah. Um, but you will get a hearing because of that, but you won't, you won't get a pass. That's the difference. And I want to be careful because again, I, I, I acknowledge that there are people who got words that were just wrong. Right. Mm-hmm. And many of them have repented for it. And I'm super thrilled about that. Yeah, yeah. But I also want to be very aware that we live in a community and a culture where prophecy is one of the most popular Christian mediums on YouTube and across the Christian television network platforms. Mm -hmm. And um, we would be ignorant to not realize that when some of the voices that are most trusted come out with a word, that everyone else seems to copy those words. Like we are, we are ignorant if we think that, that all of these words are blessing, 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 and the exact opposite happens, which is COVID. And, and yeah, and really one of the things that's very, that's very, kind of important because it's very in Jeremiah is in Jeremiah's day. There's, there's a book. Ah, what's the guy's name? Name of the book is prophetic, uh, conflict. I can't remember the guy who wrote it. It's a very famous book. Um, it's high scholarship. Um, and in that book, he lays out uh, a lot of what you're talking about and what he comes to James is James Crenshaw. Yes. Crenshaw. What he comes to in his understanding is he wants to, he wants to lay out and remind people that, that when you deal with with uh, when you hear somebody, he's not really, he doesn't really touch the scholarly books. So he doesn't he's not talking about present day stuff. It's not a common everyday read. Let's just say it's a little thick and dense. But he lays out in Jeremiah's day, you wouldn't have known who was right and who was wrong. Mm-hmm. Actually, if you looked at the history of Israel, you'd been like, this Jeremiah dude is telling us to go with Babylon. Are you kidding me? He's a traitor. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there's, there's in a lot of ways, there's, it would have been very hard to, un, in the natural, been very hard to understand or even, or even interpret who was right and who was wrong with, with as much conflict with the prophetic mm-hmm. words going on. And the thing that, he, that helped was Jeremiah actually, when he goes on trial in chapter 26, they, t- they put him on trial for a word, for this t- temple sermon. And, uh, and he actually, uh, he says, well, uh, Malachi agrees with me, and we know Malachi is a prophet of the Lord, uh, and here's what Malachi wrote. So he refers to Scripture as his support for his, his justification that he's right, which, again, that's, I think that's something we should do. But anyway, back to Mark's, the second mark. Now, the second mark is uh, the mark of faking it. Now, the Word says, Behold, I am against the prophet, declares the Lord, who uses their tongue and declares, the Lord declares. Well, I declare. Um, 
when uh, this phrase is hilarious in, in the Hebrew, it, it really it almost sounds like gobbledygook uh, because the uh, the term heed or the term use here and uh, uh, those who use their tongue, it's like not used. This is not it's a verb it's not supposed to be used this way. It's almost like it can be translated tamed or it can be translated uh, used or heeded. But it's it's very it's odd phrasing is, is the point. And, the, and a lot of scholars say the reason is because they're literally there. What's being shown is they're taking it's like it's like saying and they willed their tongue. So imagine that okay, that phrase it puts in a kind of a word picture. They willed their tongue. They they said, I know how to talk to make it sound like I know what I'm talking about. And I can really fake it. Mm hmm. And then it gets to the second half of that verse where it says, the Lord declares, that actually is two words that are set side by side that the same word is adjectival of the other word. So it's like, it's translated a lot of times, they oracled the oracle. Mm. So an oracle being, being something that you're, that you're given a revelation so if they willed their own tongue and they oracled an oracle, they produced it themselves. And he it basically, the Lord is going out of the way to say, this is so self-produced, it should be a TV show. I mean, he has produced this word. He has sculpted it and shaped it and knows how to look. Now, here's what Feinberg says on this, and it's very, very good. He says, a second group, are accused of using their tongue as a main weapon in their deception. They use their tongue to free. Uh, they use their tongue too freely. They wag them to introduce their lies by a formula of the true prophet. Declares the Lord. They did not. They did this to give their words a ring of authenticity. They merely pretended divine authority. So this would be the equivalent today of standing up and giving a prophetic word in the King James right? Like speaking in a tone, in a manner that seems more spiritual. No, no, I, I would, I would go so far as to see that because that would, that would uh, reek of inauthenticity. Okay. Um, go, you go a step further. This is more convincing than that. This is more convincing. This is like, think of when you think of an actual prophetic word and everything hits, hmm. think of that. Okay. Those points that that today is wow that's a prophetic word that just sounds like a prophetic word that just hits like a prophetic word it lines up with scripture it yeah. lines up with the character and nature and maybe of it has, god maybe they went online and, and you know looked up on facebook a little something to uh to gain some I, authority mm -hmm. a little a little word of knowledge you know just to just to bring just the to faith up, just to bring the faith up in the room mm. you know um but then but then they come out and they uh because that's a bunch of, that's bull crap. Bro, I can't believe you even said that. I don't even, I've never heard someone say that, like to bring the faith up in the room, like to to find something on someone's Facebook page and they're like, oh, the Lord just says that you just had a new kid and you're a great dad. You know, like it's well, all just, the photos are on there. I but man, that's hilarious. Because I've literally I asked, I've that. literally I I asked myself this question. I said, how do you justify that to yourself? Oh yeah, I make sense. How do you justify that? And that was the only thing I could come up with was that's the only way I could justify that because I can't imagine. And you're not justifying it. You're saying, how does a person lie to themselves so convincingly? Yeah, that's that what I mean by justifying, yes. Yeah, so people are like, is Dawson saying that's okay? <laughs> no, no, he's not. You're saying those those who can self-deceive themselves enough to say, how is lying acceptable yeah. like this? 
Yeah. And, and, you know, so it's, it's, they know exactly how to sculpt the message. You know, maybe in, in the seventies, it was the King James. Sure. Um, But they know how to sculpt the message today in all its aspects to Oracle, the Oracle, to make it sound as authentic as possible and as authoritative as possible. Um, But at the same time being absolutely a line of fake, um, a secker, as, as Jeremiah would say. Um, No, the, the, the fourth mark, is uh, the mark of reckless confidence and unreflective arrogance. So here in, uh, in the New American Standard, it says, Behold, I am against those who prophesy false dreams. Now we're getting back to the, to the top. False dreams, declares the Lord. You know, so we're, we're circling back around to that first point. These are the, now we're back to the group of people who are deceived. These middle two groups mm-hmm. are people who are obviously not deceived. They know what they're doing. They're deceivers. They're deceivers. Yeah. Uh, the copycat the the is a self-deception of their own zeal. They want yep. to be used by God so much that they're just like self-deceiving themselves. Yeah. The next two groups are like, I want to be seen. So I'm going to do anything I can to be seen. And it, if that means lying or that means sculpting you. this, manipulating people, I'll do that. Well, so they're deceivers. Yeah. Well, you got to keep the ministry going. I mean, those, those opportunities to speak don't come very often. Anyway, um, but moving on. Mark of reckless confidence. Uh, Behold, I'm against the prophets who prophesy false dreams, declares the Lord, and relate them and lead my people astray by their falsehood and reckless boasting. Yet I did not send them or command them. Nor It's like he's, God's going out of his way to make sure you know, I did not. These are not my people. Mm-hmm. You know. It's like the guy that says the wrong thing in a room and you just like slide away from him. You're like waiting on the lightning strike. Anyway, um, he says, I did not send them. I did not command them, nor did did they uh, furnish this people the slightest benefit, nor did they. In other words, they didn't. They haven't they didn't helped. They didn't help anything whatsoever, but they lined their pockets um, and made a name for themselves because that's what the court prophets did. A lot of them. Um so here's what Feinberg says on that. Because this circles back around to that first group. The last group includes those with whom nationalistic interest was paramount. Paramount. Their words are true or not. Their words, true or not, must, they felt, lift national morality, uh, moral, so lift up the spirit of the people. No wonder the prophets referred to, to their speech as empty talk. No wonder the prophet referred to their speech as empty talk. In other words, these were people who, who felt that they had to, uh, the one thing they had to do was raise the morale of the people. Um, and they worked from their nationalistic uh, um, framework. And they had a dream, whether it's from God or not. Because, I mean, what is a false dream? It's a dream that's not from God. It's just a dream in your head that you call God. It's not that it's some demonic thing. It's nothing more than, you know, your pizza dream that you call God. Because that comes down to the way secker false is used there um, in Jeremiah, because Jeremiah uses that word very specifically to refer to something that, in false, and it's actually the same word is used again, where it says, uh, by their falsehood, uh, they bring reckless boasting. So these four points seem really hanging out in the character space. So like in the New Testament, we're talking yeah. about judging a prophet by their fruit. These are the kind of fruit that we're talking about. We're talking about people who who want to be seen. We're talking about people who are 
um, stealing prophetic words from one another, people who are faking prophetic words. We're looking at people who are recklessly confident and unreflectively arrogant. Mm-hmm. We're looking at people. I mean, this is this is painting a picture of an individual's character or or maybe just different aspects of different spaces in the character of this space and the character of that space. Because not all not all prophetic spaces that are in error are hitting all of these issues. It might just be one, mm-hmm. maybe one or two. Um, That's why I labeled it as as something prophetic people do. Right. Uh, because any of these things you can do. Yeah. Any of these things you can fall into. It's very easy to be, you know, reckless. You don't even have to be prophetic. Yeah, I mean, then... This they, could be teaching, right? Yeah, this could be teaching. that You could easily apply this to anything. You could apply this to preaching. And um, honestly, the... Some of the the most it doesn't just because the truth is general and can apply to many areas doesn't make it worthless. It actually makes it extremely valuable, right? Because it's something that is universal. And what's what's shocking about this, I think, and one of the reasons that we're we're doubling down on this text and talking about this text and spending enough time in multiple episodes to discuss this mm-hmm. is because there are shocking similarities. I mean, mm-hmm. it's not even just like not just a few, not just like wow, there's some parallels here, but like you, someone could have written this today about the prophetic movement today and published in a book you know today and w- i could i could read it and go wow this is spot on yep. like this is specifically about our culture uh, we're talking about the uh, worldview creeping in nationalism creeping in our theology being affected and then prophesying from that place we, we're talking about vain ambition self-deception we, that just it describes us to a t right now in the prophetic movement so i'm, I'm super thrilled that we're we're going through this step by step um we've got one last point to cover yeah right, and, and it's section. pretty it's pretty easy uh because god gets really pa- practical now this last mm-hmm. section this this last sermon some say uh you're gonna have a lot of debate among scholars that it's uh, been tacked on at the end mm-hmm. but there's there's good evidence that this gives a summation on a very practical level of all the all the stuff we've talked about character traits all this other stuff now what he does is he, he goes into now we almost have like a uh, a narrative um of well okay let me show you how jeremiah had to deal with this mm-hmm. um and you give a little you have a little scene out of jeremiah's life um and, and it's like you know the day in the life of jeremiah so in the first section of verse uh, 33 and 34, just to set it up before you read it, um, there's a, uh, in Hebrew, there's a, a word, uh, a play on words, which you have in Jeremiah all the time. He, I mean, if he wasn't Southern Baptist, I don't know. He might have been because he loves his word plays. I mean, he alliterated almost everything. But hey, you know, I'm just vying for my boys. Anyway, uh, I know half the people in there just like turned off on that. I apologize. Uh, but, but, but what you have is you have a word play on uh, the word oracle and the word burden um, is, the, is the same word in Hebrew. Um, you, if you've read any of the uh, minor prophets, they'll say, I have a, uh, um, it starts off the whole thing with, I have a burden of the Lord. Because the word picture that's, that's displayed there is very easy. It's The burden is something that's heavy on your heart. Mm-hmm. So this is something that has been heavy on my heart that I know is a, a message from God, but it's a message that has weight and girth and is not taken lightly. It is so when the uh, minor prophets used it, it describes something that sat on their stomach like a like a sack of wet potatoes. So like in the I think of the New Testament, and this is a the, the New Testament. Jesus had compassion and he felt other people's pain. Is what what we get from that, right? Is that he he his heart physically, this is a stomach turned inside of him is the way that the 
kind of uh, Greek language seems to speak of it, like mm-hmm. something inside of him turned when he saw this other person's pain. When I think of this kind of um, burden, what you're talking about is that you're sharing God's pain, mm-hmm. that what God feels about a given issue that you feel over this given issue. Is that is that what I'm hearing from what you're talking about? Burden is like feeling the way God feels about a given situation. Oh my, you just nailed it. Uh, Frethane, which is a, a scholar, he has this, uh, this little sidebar in his commentary and he lays out side by side the times that, uh, that Jeremiah and God felt the same thing. Mm. And the list is almost a whole page. Nice. Um, so it's, it's, it's that kind of thing. It, Jeremiah never uses that phrase very, he doesn't use it very often, uh, but you just described exactly what it is. Now, because oracle and burden are the same thing, but it's just like used, you know, context determines how it's used. Got it. Um, listen to how he plays he play it it plays out in this verse that little okay. word play I'll, I'll i'll pick up the verse here in 33 and we're going to read through 40 uh it says when this people or a prophet or a priest asks you what is the burden of the lord you shall say to them you are the burden uh, and i will cast you off says the lord and as for the prophet priest or the people who say the burden of the lord i will punish them and their household thus shall you say to another among yourselves what has the lord answered or what has the lord spoken but the burden of the Lord, you shall mention no more for the burden is every, everyone's own word. And so you uh, prevent the words of the living God, the Lord of hosts, our God. Thus, you shall ask the prophets. Um, thus, you shall ask the prophets. What has the Lord answered you or what has the Lord spoken? But if you say the burden of the Lord, thus says the Lord, because of you uh, have, because you have said these words, the burden of the Lord, when I sent uh, to you saying, you shall not say the burden of the Lord. Therefore, I will surely lift you up and cast you away from my presence that you and the city that I gave you and uh, your ancestors, and I will bring upon you everlasting disgrace uh, and perpetual shame, which shall not be forgotten. So it, it seems as if he is talking about these individuals. There's priests and prophets, um, uh, priests, prophets, and the people say, this is the burden of the Lord. And he's like, look, th- that's not the burden. You're the burden. And you are not to say, this is the burden. Because every time you say this, uh, I am removing you from my presence because I have not spoken that. Exactly. So, so that that's I mean that seems it seems very difficult. I mean, you'd have to read it in the passage because it keeps putting things in brackets. The word of the Lord, or it keeps putting things in quotations. The burden of the Lord, and I almost needed to use those air quotes. So I'll try to put this since this is pre-recorded. I'll try to put this in like quote blocks okay. on screen so people it makes sense to them. So now, um, in verses 34, uh, 33 and thirty-four, yeah, that's uh. Especially if you look in the Hebrew in the terms of the uh, the use of the plurals and the uh, singulars in the in the uh, uh, the use and the days. Long story short, you basically have obviously in those uh, thirty four, uh, thirty three and thirty four, you got a private conversation, and then the rest of it's a public declaration. Mm-hmm. So in the private conversation, um, it's almost like, hey, Jer- Jeremiah's. You know, sipping on his coffee one morning, look, I said, oh, by the way, um, from now on, if anybody comes to you saying, hey, what's the burden of the Lord? I want you to just look at him and go, you are. I mean, that, first of all, that is a killer slam. I mean, it's like it's like God's given you a disc that just can't beat. But on top of that, it's this picture. He's trying to say, hey, these people are so burdensome to me. That it that even their desire for for prophetic words has been so perverted, they've made it's become so much about them. Mm. It's become so much about oh yeah about about that feeling uh, that 
I kind of, when I read this for the first time, I kind of got the feeling. I was like, oh, wow. Because imagine that I've been in those services those times and I'd be like, oh, please, please, Lord, I just need one word. I just need one word. When the truth is, I don't need just one word. What I need is, it's I just need the Lord. And what I should have done is, is not looked for a mediator, but gone towards my, my great mediator. Because I have access into the heavenlies. I have access before the throne. Mm-hmm. I have just as much imp- intimacy. Not saying that there can't be those moments where the Lord sends words and, and you have that word, you know, someone gives a word to you and it's just spot on and it nails your heart and it opens things up and, you know, wells of love come in you that you have not experienced in years. You know, you can have those moments, but you can create a culture where, where people need that. And, and it becomes like a sugar addict. So let's, let's, uh, let's get some new and, and make sense of the old in light of the new a little bit here. Um, because I'm, I'm reminded, even as you're talking about this, you keep using I and me language. Um, when prophecy, as far as I'm concerned, in 1 Corinthians um, 12, 13, 14, is not for us. It's for the edification of another. Yep. Right? It says in, in 13, right, there's still a better way. There's still a better way than the gifts, mm-hmm. right? And that better way is love. love. And he said, he's using this as kind of an interpretive principle to say, look, if you love your brother, you're not going to stand up in church and speak in tongues in a way that's not going to edify them. Mm-hmm. That only edifies you. Yep. He talks about prophecy and how prophecy is to be exercised in a way for love for others, right? So he says this, you know, love is patient. It's kind. It doesn't envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way, right? We talked about, what was the word we used? Reckless confidence and unreflective arrogance. It doesn't, it, 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 it's, it's, uh, uh, it doesn't uh, uh, demand on its own way, right? Um, I lost my place here. Uh, it's not rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, love never fails. And it continues. Uh, prophecy never fails, et cetera, et cetera. But like um, in this passage, we're looking at something that is the guiding principle for prophecy. Mm-hmm. It's to be motivated by love. The reason that we're seeing a destruction here of prophecy in Jeremiah 23, it's motivated by self-engrandizing. It's motivated by by uh, 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 wanting to see yourself in the center of the stage, mm-hmm. wanting your word to be the infallible word that the nation follows or the people of God follow. It's it's completely self-absorbed and narcissistic where the gift of prophecy isn't to determine your spiritual maturity, isn't to edify you. It's to the care of others. Yeah. And when I teach on when I teach on the prophetic, one, one thing I laid lay down right at the onset is um, your approach to to operating the gifts, operating especially in the prophetic. Um, I actually pulled this from my old Piper book, um, is to understand that worship is both the fuel and the goal of, of prophetic ministry. Mm-hmm. So what I mean by that, I mean, I mean that worship is the fuel from a the prophet's heart needs to be fueled by a love for the glory of God. The only thing you mm-hmm. want to see is the glory of God. And if the glory of God outshines you where people shake your hand and talk about how good God is and don't even use your name and you don't even get mentioned ever, you are overjoyed with that kind of worship. We had a phrase in, when, when I did sound 
Mm-hmm. Um, I did audio ministry and video arts and all that stuff. Um, the, the phrase was, um, God gets all the glory. We get everything else. Um, <laughs> and, and in that context meant that you only get recognized when you screw up, when you're doing sound. That's true. That's right. True, yeah. No one even realizes you're there until there's a in the sound system and they turn it's like everyone turn, and they, oh, oh, and there's a sound guy back there and it's like that look is somehow going to help this hey did you hear that sound guy yeah we heard the sound right god gets all the glory we get everything else and that's yeah. what you're describing kind of a playful way is to say that like the only time we should be acknowledged is when we screwed up well, and, and, and then what i mean by the other half by by worship being the goal of prophetic ministry right is that your goal in giving a word to someone is that they would worship, that right. they would be uh, standing before the Lord, that they their heart would be good, inflamed man. with the love of God, that they would find just this joy in everything you know because of your intimacy with the Lord. That's good. Um, that, and I think that sets the stage for what for for what's going on there. But okay. That's the description of, of his private conversations, and that term, uh, the last sentence, "burden of the Lord." Uh, the people can be coming to Jeremiah. It's debated whether or not they're coming to him as uh, sarcastically saying, "Hey, what's the burden of the Lord?" And then you are, you know, it's either that or it's people sincerely coming. What's the burden of the Lord? But they're coming selfishly, mm-hmm. um, and there are also people who are. You know, secretly idolatizers who, who go to the temple every day and look religious. So, you know, we're not talking about everybody here. Yeah. This is a con- this context for you. Uh, but the second half, which is uh, the public declaration, and this just sums it up, is what he's really getting at there is he says, okay, now, this is the public word from from that little experience. He says, now, the Lord kind of unfolds it into a, into a word for, for, for people, for, for the prophets, for the priests, and for the people, for everybody. And what he unfolds is why they're the burden of the Lord, why, uh, why they're just uh, uh, to, to God, basically. And he says it's because all of you, every man's own word becomes the oracle. And um, in Kings, it, it puts it. And they do it all what's right in their own eyes. Exactly. See, mm. it, that was at the heart of it all. Now we're down to the heart, bottom level of it all. That was the problem. Mm. It was a relativism that that had creeped into their thinking to such a degree that, you know, at the end of the day, I just do what's right in my own eyes. But I, I, I will slap Jesus on it. But if I'm really honest, I'm just doing what's right in my own eyes. Which makes sense, right? Because we're talking about the selfishness, the self-aggrandizing, exactly. this national pride, this like so many of these different areas yeah. compounding. It, that's just our heart. Mm-hmm. The overflow of our heart is what, what is our mouth is speaking. It's not what the Lord has placed inside of us, what the Lord is speaking to his people and, and thus a selfishly motivated people, a, a people who are being led by prophets who are self-aggrandizing. Um, are only going to be led after what is right in their own eyes and not what the Lord would have us do. And and for anybody who who may be watching this and just thinking, oh gosh, now I don't want to I want to stay away from all that stuff no matter what. Um I would say no, that's that's not the point here. Um in these chapters 23 on through 29, um the reason Baruch compiled them the way he did was to for us to read these stories and go, okay, that's that's Jeremiah's experience in Jeremiah's day to Jeremiah's people. And we've talked about all those elements. And 
if you take that for what it is, if you learn about that, if you let that soak into the marrow of your of your heart, you will gain a stability and keenness of sight that you'll be able to clearly intellectually discern the faults from the true. So that when you do seek and something just smells like honey, you can run to it and let the Lord bless you. Yeah. And uh, when you see something that, that smells like garbage, pig, pig manure, mm-hmm. um, you can run from it and stay far, far away. That's good. So, um, it's a great place to, to wrap up. Mm-hmm. I know you've got to get going. Um, but hey, uh, thank you so much for coming on. I think this Enjoyed was um, both rich and educational for our audience. It's very timely in the sense of where we are uh, today in the West and the way that we have uh, popularized prophetic ministry. I think this is a good. Uh, even people who are in prophetic ministry right now, mm-hmm. right, that are watching this video, they should they should learn from this. They can learn from this. Yeah, this could be Greatly. a thing. In the same way that Jeremiah in that day was correcting the prophetic voices of that day, we can use this as a corrective piece to go, man, this is something I need to learn from. This is something I need to glean from God's scripture, not necessarily remnant radio, but like God's word is mm-hmm. saying these things are wrong. And if we've been doing these things, we need to we need to check our heart, um, reflect. Uh, one of the things I'm thrilled on is a, is a guy named Jeremiah Johnson has mm-hmm. shut down his ministry, is rebranded, retooled the whole thing. So it's not predictive. It's not political. He's just really going after faith and repentance. He's really reworking his ministry as, of a, as of a fear that that he has slipped into this. Um, and it is encouraging. It is uh, it is one of the things that I'm I'm thrilled to see is that just because there are people who've been in error, I've been in error in teaching, but I didn't stay there. And mm-hmm. people can be in error in prophecy and not stay there. And that would be my greatest encouragement uh, in striving for this is not to have that, what do we call it? Uh, reckless confidence, mm-hmm. right? Or unreflective arrogance and be like, I got it wrong and I'm going to pretend like it didn't happen or I'm still right. That's, mm-hmm. we got to run, 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 run. Uh, and until we see some kind of manifestation of repentance in those areas, it's a dangerous space to be. Uh, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I would encourage people to walk away from those spaces. Yeah, and and one thing you got to understand about Jeremiah's day that was very clear is the reason he even spoke these words. One chapter over forty years of ministry yeah. in this in this chapter, the reason he was saying this over and over and over again was to. Bring the people to a turning, bring the people to repentance, bring the people to to not just no longer listen to these guys, but there are even words to these guys. To the prophets. See, right. th- this last word is directed to the prophets. That's right. And it's to tell them, hey, turn. See, in any of Jeremiah, and I think I can't remember if it was in Je- Jehoiakim's, Jehoiakim's. Yeah, it was in his in his reign. There's a there's a prophet that is only mentioned in the story. You don't really know much about him. Um, he spoke against the king. Um, a lot of scholars think that it was Jeremiah's ministry because uh, that turned this guy around. Mm-hmm. Um, and he went from being a court prophet to, uh, uh, I wouldn't say a true prophet, but because there's there were some in the court that were that were true, uh, but he began to be a true voice in the court prophets. Yeah, um, and he spoke against the king. The king said, "I'm gonna kill you." He ran to he ran down to uh, uh, Egypt, and they ran down after him, grabbed him, dragged him back up here, and killed him. Mm-hmm. Now, Jerusalem, things, Jerusalem. 
things, things didn't turn out very well for him. Yeah. But it didn't turn out very well because he did the right thing. Yeah. And so I'm not going to say that doing the right things going to uh, instantly give you blessing and, 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 and blessing and truth and everything. What's going to give you is going to give you, it's going to give you the honesty and the blessing of God's presence. It's going to give you the fact that you're being truthful with yourself and others. And yeah, it's not going to give you uh, gold and riches here. It's yeah, storing up gold and riches in heaven. If, right? Yeah. If there's anything right. that I can't stand, it's people saying, Hey, you know, Hey, you turn to Jesus and your, your life will be great. No, no. It turn to Jesus. The pay is not great. But the reward is heavenly. Yeah, the benefits are uh, awesome. Oh my gosh! See, like that. Okay, that's a that's a bad punny joke. But all that to say is that um, in that picture, you have a picture of someone who actually turned. Yeah. And that's something that uh, that I want to encourage is that anybody who's in that ministry, God bless you. Keep pressing hard after the Lord. Yeah. Seek His counsel. Seek His counsel. Seek I want to make counsel. sure that our videos are not just only identifying error, but providing solutions. Yeah. Um, and we don't want to just be the guys out there who are going, hey, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong, providing solutions for that. This would be yeah. a great um, piece to reflect on yearly um, yeah. with your team. If, you're, uh, if you've got a prophetic ministry, you've got a staff, you've got you know, a board, whatever, uh, pastors that you're submitted to, I would say as a ministry, once a year, go through these points, right? You know, where am I at in these areas? Mm -hmm. Is my, my, my political views of our nation, is it affecting and painting our prophetic ministry? It's being um, reflective. Is this, is this meant, are these prophetic words that we're giving, are these, are these opportunities, am I using these as a way to get book deals to speak in front of conferences or am I doing this for the people because I love the people, I care for the people, like reflecting through these Always things. Always checking your heart. Yeah, I mean, that's a regular thing. Any church um, that works in a healthy way, does the same thing where they self audit, not just financially, but yeah. they, they audit themselves spiritually. Where are we at in our discipleship and our evangelism and our worship, our instruction? Where, where are we at when we, when we look at the gospel, are we preaching faithfully Christ centered, Christ crucified faith and repentance, or are we, are we preaching fluffy sermonettes, right? For our congregation that'll tickle their ears. Like we have to really re-examine uh, what we're doing because we're fallen people and we're we're prone to wander in many areas um and this would be a good space to do that and hey maybe it's not a once a year maybe it's once a quarter i don't know and uh, one uh, one last thing like in in all this just so uh, those who don't know me i know I'm, I'm not i'm not that on that much I, I, I like to write but um one of the reasons i've kind of hemmed and hauled and 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 chosen my words very specifically is because I don't want to hinder uh, in any way the prophetic ministry. And at the same time, I don't want to help in any way um, the fakers and the deceivers. Yeah. And that's a hard line to walk that we're trying to walk. Mm -hmm. um, and I hope it's come through. Yeah. And I hope this helps everybody is really the truth. Amen. Cool. Well, guys, thank you so much for uh, tuning in to this episode. If the video has blessed you at all, uh, man, we're completely crowdfunded. So I'd encourage you, you can give on Patreon in the link of the description. There's two different ways to give. You can give on PayPal, just a one-time gift. Hey, we want to toss five bucks at you, 10 bucks at you. 
um, you know, shove 170. Sh- nope. Uh, and then uh, th- there's another way that you can give. You can you can donate there on Patreon as low as five bucks a month. It helps uh, help support us as a ministry to produce the content that we do. Uh, we haven't uploaded a Patreon video in a couple of weeks, so I will upload one this week. Uh, and in actually, I'm going to try to upload three this month uh, just to kind of catch us up from the deficit. Uh, Michael's been out of town, been a little slow to upload those, but we'll get those up this week. So, uh, yeah, hope to see you guys tomorrow, uh, uh, Wednesday, uh, for our 4 p.m. to 5 p.m. episode on the gifts of the Spirit. I believe Miller and Roundtree will be back for that episode. So very much looking forward to it. Anyway, blessings, guys. We'll see you next time. Want to thank Kairos Classrooms for sponsoring this episode of Remnant Radio. And if you're out there, you've ever wondered, hey, I wonder if learning a biblical language would be a supplemental tool for me to help me in my biblical studies. Well, you need to check out Kairos Classrooms. They offer Greek and Hebrew classes that can help teach you and train you. It's a live classroom environment with actual students and actual live teachers, and they help teach you the biblical languages of Greek in Hebrew. You need to check out Kairos Classrooms today. There's a link in the description and you can use the promo code REMNANT to get 10% off. These classes are already crazy affordable, but with the promo code REMNANT, R-E-M-N-A-N-T, you'll get 10% off of Kairos Classrooms. So check that out today. And thank you so much for Kairos for sponsoring this episode of Remnant Radio.